0: Okay, let's get real honest this morning. When was the last time you read the book of Obadiah? <laughs> or how about Nahum or Zephaniah? When was the last time you read those books? You know, maybe a more honest question would be, have you ever read the book of Obadiah? Have you ever read the book of Nahum? You know, I, I, I know that many of you have read through the Bible in a year's time. We've, we've been promoting that, and many of you have done that. I remember Norma talking about how when she did that for the first time a number of years ago. And all, but let's just let's be honest. Nobody's going to choose the Book of Obadiah with enthusiasm to go read Obadiah for their devotional stuff. I don't think, anyway. You know. So, but the Bible claims that all of the Word of God has been inspired by God, and all of it is good for our profit. In fact, Paul would write to Timothy, and he would say these words: All Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And what he had in mind at that point wasn't even the New Testament. What he had in mind at that point was the Old Testament. It would have been the book of Obadiah and the book of Nahum and the book of Zephaniah. It would have been uh, those more obscure books in our Old Testament. Well, this morning, we're going to begin a journey. We're going to begin a journey through these lesser known books. There's 12 of them to be exact. Uh, They're called or known as the minor prophets, okay, as opposed to the major prophets, there are 17 writing prophets in your Old Testament. Now there are many more than, than the 17 prophets that are mentioned or that have writings in our Bible. For instance, there's Nathan who pointed his finger at, uh, at, uh, at David, and there's uh, Gad, and, and there's just a lot of men that were named as prophets, Elijah, Elisha, two major prophets, but they left no writings, they left no writings behind. But these 17 prophets who left writings behind, their writings have been called by one the dark continent of the scriptures. And if that is so, then these twelve that we're going to be looking at are the darkest of the dark part of the continent, you know, because they are so rarely studied and so rarely looked at. You may wonder why Bible scholars have divided the prophets of the Old Testament into two groups, major prophets and minor prophets. Well, the minor prophets were men that, that were only five foot four in stature or less. The major prophets were taller than that. No, not really. That's, of course, not true. But you probably may have thought that the reason they're called major and minor is because the major prophets have major things to say and the minor prophets have lesser important things to say. Well, that would not be true. They're not named major and minor for that reason. They're ma- this is really going to like, they're, they're named major and minor because of the length of their books. So the major prophets are the ones that wrote long stuff and the minor prophets are those that wrote uh, shorter shorter. Treaties that have been recorded for us. It has nothing to do with the content of their prophecy. It has to do with the length that's been recorded for us. Now, centuries before Jesus came onto the scene and was born of Mary, these 12 books were joined into one scroll. And that one scroll was known as the 12. All 12 books were combined in one scroll. They were called the 12. And, And it was equal in length to the book of Isaiah. So they would have had a scroll for Isaiah. They would have had a scroll called the 12 that would have included the the minor prophets. They both were about 60, 67 chapters in, uh, in length. You remember when Jesus goes into the synagogue in Nazareth and he asked for, or I don't know if he asked for it or they just gave it to him, but they handed him the scroll of Isaiah. Now, these, these books are called the dark continent of, of our Bible, but honestly, they would not have been the dark continent of the Old Testament for the Jew, right? These would have been major writings for them, things that they would have read lots of times. And, and so you remember, Jesus takes Isaiah, opens it up, and says, today in your hearing, I'm fulfilling what I'm reading to you. And it was the passage where he said, I've come to preach to the poor and set the captive free, so, uh, so these these books had been called the Twelve long before Jesus even even came on the scene. Now, I want, to give you a, I want to give you an alphabetized order of the 12. Here they are, and they'll be on the screen behind me, but they are Amos, Habakkuk, Haggai, Hosea, Joel, Jonah, Malachi, Micah, Nahum, Obadiah, Zechariah, and Zephaniah. These are the minor prophets. These are the ones whose writings for us are rather short as compared to the major prophets. However, I, I want to say again, please know that these are not all the prophets. There were lots of prophets in Israel that spoke for God, and many of them did not leave any recording, any recorded prophecy behind. For instance, Elijah and Elisha would have been two of the most, most important, most famous of the prophets of old, and yet they didn't leave that. Now they're included in the historical books, and many of the things that they said are recorded for us. But no writings were left from from them. In your bibles the order of these these 12 books goes like this. Hosea, Amos, Micah, Joel, Obadiah, Jonah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Ze- uh, Haggai, Zechariah and then and then Malachi. And but none of these two orders is the chronological orders at which they wrote. As a matter of fact, the chronological order in which they wrote is, is sometimes hard to know between who wrote first, did Amos write first, or did, did Nahum. You know, some of, the, some of the things, some of their chronologies are a little bit, you know, a little bit obscured. We don't know for sure exactly when, when they wrote. The only chronological significance of the, of the 12 books recorded in your Bible would be that uh, the first six wrote before the last six. But in between that, I mean, they're, they're all out of chronological order. The minor prophets from Obadiah to, to Malachi, and, and I say that because Obadiah may have been the first to write. No, no one's exactly sure. But they cover 400 years of history, of Jewish history. They're going to write during a period of 400 years. And, and they will write during the, the major empires of Assyria, Babylon, and Persia, who would rule, if you would, over top of Israel. They would be the major empires over Israel. And, and these, major, these three major empires would impact Israel as a nation, and they would be writing, you know, not always to Israel. There's going to be three of these minor prophets who are not addressing what they're addressing to the people of Israel. Two of them are going to address what they're addressing to the Assyrians, and one of them uh, to the Edomites. And, and so their, their audience is going to be different, but they're going to be mainly writing, nine of them are going to be writing to Israel during the period of Assyrian rule, Babylon, Babylonian rule, and then, of course, Persian, Persian rule. So I thought what would be helpful this morning, this is, by the way, in case I haven't... uh said so. This is, this is an introductory message to this series that, uh, that we're going to be in, which is called the Minor Prophets. Forgive me. I should have told you all that. But this is a series on the Minor Prophets, and, uh, and it's called Minor Prophets with uh, Major Points. Pretty cool, right? Pretty corny, actually. Go out there and look on the internet, and you'll just find that everybody has something like that, right? So, but Mine's unique. I didn't see it anywhere else, right? Minor Prophets, Major Points. All right. But I thought what would be helpful to us today would be for me to run through a, a, a history of Israel. And again, some of this will be really familiar to many of you. Some of you may not even know what I'm going to be talking about, so hopefully it'll be helpful to you. I'm going to give you Bible history. I mean, if you were here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, and, and even if you are a follower of Christ, you may reject some of the, the creation stories at the beginning of Genesis. But, but I'm going to give you a history. I hope to make it fairly short, but I think it'll, it'll help us place these books in, in a chronology or in a historical setting that, that I think will be important to us as we go along. So let me begin at the beginning. God created everything. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. God created everything, and and when he created it, he created man. He created them good, but man rebelled against God. And out of that rebellion came uh, the fall of man. And out of the fall of man came man's sinfulness. And and man's sinfulness was great in all the earth to the point that God destroyed everything that he had created, people-wise and and mammal-wise. He created everything except for what he saved on the ark. And uh, and he started again with Noah and his family. And Noah came out of the ark, and you would think they're going to get it right. But again, the sinfulness of man was already embedded in our hearts. And it didn't become long before they were just as rebellious and just as sinful as the men that had been destroyed. Now, God said, hey, I'm not going to ever do that again. I'm not going to ever destroy the world by water again. And um, and so he didn't, but as, as men's rebelliousness increased, there came a point where God did judge the earth again. And this time, instead of destroying man, what he did was he divided men up by languages. He confused their languages on purpose so that they could not communicate anymore. And so we had these tribal peoples that could speak different languages. And the Bible says they just moved apart from each other. And so the Bible's explanation of the plurality of languages in our world is that God did it. That God messed up everybody's language. And and he did so as a judgment on mankind for his rebellion against God. Now, after he split man up by languages and people began to you know migrate to different parts of the known world at that time, he would eventually choose one man from one group. The man's name was Abraham. Now, Abraham I believe God cho- He chose him unconditionally. What I mean by that, it wasn't that He was better than anyone else, but, but I think He chose Abraham because of his faith. Now Abraham will have faith, and God is going to it is going to be a really important thing in his relationship with God. But it but it doesn't say that God's choice of him to start with had anything to do with his faith. But Abraham obviously had faith, and so when when God comes to Abraham and He says, Abraham, I'm choosing you. I want you to follow me where I'm going to lead you. And Abraham doesn't say, Well, where are we going? He doesn't say that. He says, okay, Lord, I'll follow you. So he left his family and he followed God. And Abraham was this man that God chose. And and this is what he said to Abraham. After Abraham had left and followed him, he, he pulled him aside one night and he said, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless the entire world through your family. I'm going to make a huge family out of you. I'm going to make a nation out of you. And in this nation, I'm going to use them to bless the... I'm going to use you, Abraham, and I'm going to use your sons and your grandsons. I'm going to use them to bless the entire world. And you know, the Bible says that Abraham believed what God told him that night and God looked at Abraham and said, I am crediting that faith to you as righteousness. In other words, I am declaring you righteous. Even though Abraham wasn't a righteous man, I mean, the Bible calls him a righteous man. He wasn't righteous so as to be able to earn his salvation with God. He, he was a sinner like all men had been sinners. But, but God took his faith and he credited it to him as absolute righteousness so that Abraham was, was part of God's family. And God said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for your family. Uh, and he does this not just for Abraham. Abraham would have a son, Isaac, and Isaac would have a son, Jacob, and Jacob would have 12 sons. And God would take all 12 of those sons and say, you are the nation of Israel. And, uh, And he he chose them unconditionally, but he put conditions on their continuance. I want you to hear me on that. He put conditions on their continuance. As, as this nation. So in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 6, just listen, although I may put the reference, there's the reference up there if you want to write it down. But here's what God says to Solomon. He says, But if you or your sons indeed turn away from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statues, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and the house from, from which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of My." sight. So Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples and the house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and hiss and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? And they will say, because they forsook the Lord, their God, and brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and adopted other gods and worship them and serve them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this adversary, uh, adversity, excuse me, on them. And then Jesus would turn around and he would say something, you know, even more, I think, startling to the Pharisees of his day. He said in a, def- in a description of a parable, he said to Israel, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and it will be given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. So God would unconditionally love this people and he would choose them and his favor would be on them. But listen, in spite of all of that, they would, they would reject God over and over and over again as a people. In fact, it seems almost from the day that he chose Abraham and, and God began to raise them into a people, it's almost from the beginning of that day, instead of trusting him and following him and believing what he said, the people rebelled against him. Here's something I want you to grab hold of that's really, really important about the nature of God that's revealed to us in this relationship that he had with Israel. And it's this, that God is long-suffering. God is merciful. God God is not quick to give up on, on people, okay? And so in this time, he would, during years, I'm talking about centuries centuries, he would reach out to Israel, this obstinate people, and and, and seek to win them back, seek to restore them, but they would continually reject him. But he tirelessly did this. In the 400 years that the prophets would write and speak that we have recorded for us as minor prophets, uh, God would be continually calling those people back. In fact, let me take a sideline for just a moment here and just let's define prophet for us so that we're all on the, on the same page, right? A lot of people, when they think of prophet, they think of somebody who is foretelling the future. And indeed, some prophets did foretell the future, but that is really not the primary thing that a prophet did. The word prophet literally in its etymology meant this, to bubble forth as from a fountain, The word prophet comes from that base root word. And and so really, a prophet was someone who bubbled up and and spoke forth for somebody else. And in our context, a, a prophet of God was somebody who was speaking for God. He was somebody who wasn't necessarily foretelling the future, although they would do that. But he was somebody who would be speaking for God, whether he spoke of the future or not, whether he told the future or not, he's speaking for God. Abraham is the first person in your Bible to be called a prophet. Moses was called a prophet. Deborah was called a prophet. Samuel was called a prophet. Many, many men and other women have been called prophets in your Old Testament because they spoke for God. They were his mouthpieces. He was speaking through them for others. Now, the Old Testament prophets had four major commissions. This is important. If you're taking notes, you ought to write this down, okay? They had four major commissions from God. Number one, the prophet's job was to expose the sinful practices of God's people. The prophet's job, and I know they probably hated it, but their job was to go around and say, you are sinning against God. They were to call people out. They were to call them out in their sin. And, and you, know, you know, surely there were some prophets that just probably relished that, but I think most of them were a lot like us and probably really didn't, didn't really enjoy going around and, you know, putting their finger in people's faces and say, hey, you're sinning against God. But God told them, remember this in Ezekiel? Many of you will know this. In Ezekiel chapter 33, I believe it is, or 30 and 33, God says it twice to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, he said, I've put you on the wall like a watchman on the wall. And you remember that the cities would be, most, many of the cities would be um, walled cities. And so at night they'd have watchmen that were on the walls waiting for the enemy. And, and he said, You know, you're like a watchman on the wall. And if you don't warn people about their sin, if you don't call them, you know, call out their sin, you're going to be like the watchman who doesn't give warning when the enemy's coming in. And, and just like they're responsible, and the enemy may succeed, but they're responsible in the same way. If you don't speak what I'm telling you to speak about sin, you're responsible. I'm going to hold you responsible for that. The second thing the prophet was called to do was to point out sin, but then to call people to repentance, to call people back to the civil and moral and ceremonial law of God. His, his job was to confront people in their sin, call their sin what it was, and then he was to call them to repent and to turn back to God in his, in his riches and mercy towards them. The third thing that the prophet did was to warn them, if you do not repent, God is going to judge you. And this is where a lot of foretelling came in because God would say, if you do not do this, this is what will happen to you. And by the way, let me say something about that. You know, God in, his, God in his foreknowledge of all things, in his omniscience of all things, because God knows something that may be, doesn't make it certain. In other words, God can know something in the future that that will or may may or may not come to pass depending on the circumstances, okay? And, And so when God says to them, if, you know, if you don't repent, this is what's going to happen to you, it would indeed, will indeed happen unless there's repentance. Because God has said, I've seen it, I know it, this is what I will bring to pass on you if you don't repent, and the fourth thing that a prophet was commissioned to do was to point them, and this may surprise you, but, but prophets were commissioned by God to point them to the time when Messiah was going to come. I was listening to Steve Gregg this week, and Steve made the comment. I, I love Steve, Steve Gregg as a teacher. And, and Steve made the statement that there's probably not a prophet, major or minor, that left writings behind that is not at some point calling People to this vision of the messianic age when Jesus is going to rule, right? They're all pointing to this eventually. So one of the things that I'd like us to do in this study as we look through these minor prophets, I'm going to try to do it, is say, okay, where is this minor prophet pointing us to Jesus? Where is he tell us, telling us about the day when Jesus is going to come and, and he's going to rule? So um, there's a lot of prophecies, by the way, Just this is kind of a side note, but in the Old Testament prophetic books, there are over 300 prophecies concerning Jesus that people have pointed out that say that Jesus fulfilled uh, in his coming, right? So I don't know where I'm going to find all 300 of them, but there are a lot of prophecies concerning Jesus in, the, in these uh, Old Testament prophets. In Acts chapter 10, verse 43, Peter is meeting with Cornelius. This is what he says to him. He says, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness. Now, I don't think necessarily Peter is trying to make an exacting statement. You know, like when I say, you always do that to Anne, or she says, you always do that. You know what we mean, right? don't mean always. We just mean always, you know? (laughs) We just mean like, yeah, most of the time you do that. When that probably isn't even true either. But that could be a statement that Peter's just saying always in that sort of sense. But maybe he's actually making an exacting statement. The prophets all point to Jesus. I guess maybe we'll find out. Let's go back to our history lesson. So so God calls Abraham, and he chooses Isaac, and he chooses Jacob, and then he chooses all 12 of the tribes, doesn't choose any more specifics after that. And, and so that, that tri- those 12 tribes become the people of Israel. And you remember there was a drought in the promised land, and so God you know, takes them down to Egypt where it, during the next 400 years they'll become slaves and they'll live in slavery to Egypt. At the end of 400 years, God is going to deliver them from that. You know, we all know the story about the plagues and his release of them from, uh, from Egypt, but he releases them. They go back to the promised land under the leadership of Moses. And when they get back to the promised land, they are a theocracy. Do You know what a theocracy is? A theocracy is a, is a people ruled by God. The government is God Himself. In many of the Islamic countries, they, they are theocracies, they are read, led by the Islamic religion, right? Um, we, have, we have rejected that. We have said we see a difference as Americans. We see a difference between God's church and government. And, and though the church is to have influence on the government, uh, we're not to control it, nor is the government to control us. That's how we have, have seen this. But in that day, it was a theocracy, and God ruled, and he was in charge. But you know what He found time and time again? He delivers these people, He takes them back to the promised land and just from get-go, rebellion, rebellion, rebellion. So God would raise up these leaders. He would raise up these we call them judges in, the, in your Bible. In fact, in your Old Testament, there's all these judges that they have writings about these judges in the historical books. And, uh, and these judges would rise up under God's Here's how it went. God delivered people and everything is wonderful. The people would rebel against God. After they rebelled against God, God would bring a prophet and say, if you don't repent, if you don't, you know, if you don't turn, then then I'm going to send judgment on you. And time and time again, they would not turn. So God would send judgment on them. He would usually use different people from all around them. And so they would cry out to God. God would send a deliverer. The deliverer would, would, would save them. And then we'd be back at 12 o'clock on the clock, right? And then it starts all over again. I mean, we're talking about years. But then it would start all over again. People would forget what God has done. They would rebel. They would not trust him and would not follow him. And, and, you know, and they would turn against God. Now, before this, actually, I forgot something that I wanted to mention. I got really scanty notes this morning, and and I, I forgot to mention this. So God brings them out of Egypt, and he takes them to the promised land. And before the judges and all of that, this is what he says to them. He says, I'm going to be your king, and I'm going to do two things for you. I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to provide for you. All I ask of you is that you be faithful, that you trust me, that you be filled with faith and you follow me. In other words, you know, faith that follows. I want you to follow me. And so he called them to faithfulness. And he said, you follow me and I'm going to provide and I'm going to protect you. And here's what's going to happen. And this is really important. The reason why God chose Israel out of all of the people groups that he had created by, by confusing their languages, the reason he chose them is he said, I want everyone to see my relationship with you and all the worlds is going to be drawn to what they see. In other words, they're going to see this relationship that you as a people have with me, the one true God, and they're going to be drawn to that. But instead of following God, they didn't. And that's where the cycle of the judges comes in over and over and over again. Till we get to a place in in Israel's history where they say, we want a king. This isn't working with you being our king. You know, we we need an earthly king to keep us in line. And uh, you remember that God says, boy, it's me that they've rejected with this, but he gives them a king. Saul, and then David. And David rules for his lifetime. His son Solomon rules for his lifetime. And, uh, but then uh, in 930 BC, about a thousand years before Jesus is to come on the scene, the country of Israel, the people of Israel, will, they'll split. And, and so they divide. Ten of the tribes Take the northern part of the land, and two of the tribes take the southern part. The northern part is called Israel. The the southern part is called Judah, and they divide. And uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam has the bottom part, and and a fellow by the name of Jeroboam becomes king uh, in the in the northern part. The kingdom, the kingdom, split. Now. One thing that in history that we need to know, because this is where the prophets are going to come in. So the kingdom is going to split in 930 BC, and in the north we'll have Israel with its 10 tribes, and in the south we'll have Judah. And uh, in the north, in, in, and again, I know many of you know this, so just humor me by listening, but in the north, there's not one king that ever follows or loves the God of Israel. Not one king. Not one. Not one. They all all rebel against God. In fact, they set up they set up all kinds of false worship and everything. And God is continually, He's he's going to them and He's calling them to repent. He's calling them to turn back. I'm pretty sure that Elijah is in, yeah, Elijah's up there on the on the thing. I don't know if you can see it or not, but he is a major prophet in the north calling those people to repentance. We have the, the stories of, of Mount Carmel is in the north, all right? And so during that, that time in the north, God is going to send them two writing minor prophets, Amos and Hosea. And he is going to be, they are going to be speaking to that northern kingdom. Now next week, we're going to study Amos. That's going to be our first prophet that we're going to look at. So just know, because I'm going to ask you to do something, but know where Amos is writing. Amos is writing Mostly to that northern kingdom that in 722 God is going to destroy them. I mean obliterate them. They're gonna be removed. They will be no more. They will never come back. You know that that they'll never come back as a divided country, the country of Israel. They'll never come back like that. All right. Now now notice in the south, the southern kingdom will continue uh, for a number of years. But also, you know, Joel, he's prophesying at the same time. Actually, he's probably maybe before Amos. I'm going to take Amos and Hosea first up in, nor- up in the northern kingdom. But notice Joel down in the south and Micah. These guys are all about the same time. And again, when they're writing can, can have a lot of overlap. Everybody following me? Okay. But-, but this is the timeline. And this is where these prophets are writing. And this is, this is really important for you guys to-, to understand the context in which they're writing. So history moves on, Israel will be obliterated, they will be destroyed, they'll be exiled out of the land, they'll be replaced with other people from other nations so that the people that do remain, they'll form this half-breed group of people called Samaritans, right? That the, the people in the southern kingdom would hate the rest of the rest of time. The kingdom of Judah would continue. It would have good kings and bad kings. Some would love God, some would not. It was just a kind of a mixed bag. And, and, you, and you wouldn't think, well, we had all good and then it all turned bad. No, it was like, we have a good king, good king, bad king, bad king. I mean, it just kind of intermixed like that. Um, but they also were rebelling. They were rebelling against God. In the southern kingdom, God would send them Joel and Micah and Zephaniah and, uh, and Habakkuk and some of those people. When we get to the date of 586 BC, I guess you can see the color changes a little bit. But in 586, God judges the bottom kingdom of Judah. And he judges them by having them removed from the land by the empire called Babylon. And Babylon will come down. You remember Daniel, some of these. There was other prophets in this time as well. Daniel and Ezekiel were two of the major prophets who, were, who had prophesied in that 70 years of exile. But there'd be 70 years in which God would remove Israel from the land. And they would not live there. Other people would take over the land. At the end of 70 years, God would, uh, God would restore them. Persia would defeat Babylon, and Cyrus would rise to power. And Cyrus, out of his benevolence or out of God's working in his heart, whatever reason, he permitted an exodus of Jews from Babylon, which is, by the way, modern-day Iraq. He, he authorized them to return to the land. So after 70 years, there was at least two pilgrimages, the people of Israel that lived in Babylon returned to the promised land. In fact, it would have been funny, or not funny, it would have been sad because we would have been so disappointed how few people came back. After 70 years of living in, in Babylon, they'd probably become wealthy, they'd probably learned, and they'd probably just grown into the system of the culture. And so they would, they would just, they would continue to be a part of that country. I mean, they, they, they just wanted to stay. And not everybody went back. In fact, it was just a small remnant that went back both times. But two different groups came back. And, and, and they, would re-establish, they would reestablish Israel, Judah in, in the land there in Jerusalem. They would rebuild the, all that kind of stuff. At the end of 70 years, when they returned to the land, God would send them three more prophets, Malachi, Haggai, and Zechariah. And we'll be studying them eventually as well and what their, what their word was to the people of Israel. After, after Malachi... And actually, they, they, they've got, I, you know, again, this, this, this chart wasn't exactly how most people see it. Most people see Malachi, even though he's the last book in the Bible, I believe they believe he's the last prophet. I'm not sure. But, but after the last prophet, whether it's Malachi or Zechariah, listen, there's, there's not another prophet to rise up in Israel for the next 400 years. We've been a country for 250, 275 years. i do not sure how many it is, but We've been, a, we've been a country for 250 years. Let me say that, rounding it up, or rounding it off. So for 250, for 400 years, for 400 years, there's not been one man who rises up and says, I am God's spokesman, not one. So you can imagine that. there's a lot of history in there. It's called the Maccabean time. It's not in our Bible. Your Bible is quiet From that time until to the New Testament time. Your Bible is quiet, but there is is Jewish history still going on there. It's called the Maccabean time. uh, But after 400 years, God brings a prophet back to Israel. His name is John. His name is John the Baptist or we call him John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, but his name was John. He's the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and he's the first prophet in the land in 400 years. You can imagine how excited the Jews were to have a man claiming to be the prophet. You remember what he said. He said, I'm a prophet, but I'm just here as a spokesperson. I'm just here to introduce you to Messiah. And remember, all the prophets, these 12 prophets, the other five major prophets, the writing prophets, everybody leaves behind this this encouragement for the future that God is going to send his Messiah. And John is saying, hey, not only am I the first prophet in the land, but I'm the prophet who's here to introduce the Messiah who's coming into the land. Alright, let me end with this. And, uh, I, you know, as we just prepare for this series, I've got a number of foundational things that I want to affirm, just so, you, so we're all on the same page as we go through these prophets. Here's, here's some things that I want you to, to know about what I'm going to be saying to you. Number one, Each prophet that I'm going to read to you and share with you about is inspired by God. Now, I believe that. If you happen to be our guest this morning, our church is committed to the truthfulness of the Bible. We believe God inspired it. And so we believe each of those prophets wrote in the inspiration uh, of God. They're not just making up their own stuff. However, and this is the second thing that I want you to note, I want us to appreciate as we go through this that every prophet is a human and what I mean by that, they, these are not super spiritual, necessarily super spiritual guys. I mean, they love the Lord, but, but they're, they're just real people like us. I mean, they're dads and they're fathers and they, I mean, that's the same thing. They're dads and their husbands and, and they're like real employees and they have emotions and they, they're just like us. You know, in fact, Amos, the first guy that we're going to be looking at, Amos wasn't even a prophet at all. Everybody, he didn't have any theological training. He wasn't—he hadn't gone to the school of the prophets, which was a real thing. He was not part of the school of the prophets. He didn't make his living from prophesying. I mean, he was a—I think it's a sheep herder—and God called him to be a spokesperson, right? And so, these are just ordinary people. I want you to keep that in mind, even as we're reading this. Number three. The prophet in his humanity is just as sinful as us. These guys are not perfect. These guys were not like I'm the super saints somehow. I mean when we talk about Jonah, Jonah was a man, Jonah really messed up when we talk man, most of you probably know the story of Jonah, but Jonah, Jonah had so many flaws, it becomes so evident in his writing. And and I guess maybe he got humble and decided to write the truth, or maybe he he didn't even see what he's didn't even see what he was writing, how, how bad it reflects on him. But, you know, Jonah has all kinds of issues with Jonah. These guys were sinful as, as we are. Number four, the life of the prophet. And I want you to understand this too. Man, these, these men were often lonely and extremely scorned by everybody else that lived in their time. You know, uh, I think this is probably true for every one of them. But Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. You know why? he was? He's, he's a major prophet, not a minor. We're not going to be studying him. But Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. And if you read his book, I mean, you talk about a man that was continually accosted by the people because of his message. He was imprisoned. Uh, it's just really, really bad. This is what he wrote. And this is Jeremiah fifteen fifteen. Listen. And I think this is going to reflect many of the hearts of many of the prophets. He said, Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. So, man, these these men, and, and think about it. If you're calling out sin, even if you're trying to do it graciously, I mean... If people aren't going to repent, they're going to scorn you. They're they're going to turn against you. And that's what happened to to a lot of these prophets. And Jeremiah maybe the most. I don't know what number I'm on. Here's the next thing. And this is really, really, really important. So pay attention to this next thing. Each prophet was addressing a specific situation at a specific time. And it's going to be helpful to you and me to understand the context. But the principles that they're going to talk about can be universally applied. Okay, here's what I mean by that. If we're studying, go back to one of those charts, would you, uh, Chris, the one that had the prophets on it, the second one, that one right there. Okay, if you recognize what I just told you, and you're able to keep this, maybe you already know it, but if you're learning it for the first time, keep in mind that the people of God, this people that God chose to be his people, they're so rebellious, they can't even stay together, and they've split into two countries, something that God didn't desire. But the north, the north of their Israel, remember this, not a single good king. Nobody's following God in that group. I mean, there are believers in Israel that, that are faithful to God. But remember Elijah? Remember Elijah said, I'm the only one following God. And God said, no, you're not. No, you're not. You remember how many said are following God? 7,000, right? 7,000, which sounds like a whopping big number, doesn't it? Not when you're talking about millions of people. I mean, it's it's, it's just a small remnant, but but people were following, they were trusting in God in Israel, but so many of them weren't. So when you're reading the book of Amos this week, when you're reading the book of Amos, remember who he's writing to. Remember who he's talking about. He's going to be talking about that group uh, up in the north there and, and who they are. Context will make a big difference in helping us understand what the prophet is talking about. And, and, you know, I, I struggle with this because, you know, I believe in, in the fact that you can pick up your Bible and God can speak to you. I don't care who you are. For the very first time, in fact, we have two Gideons on the front row right here, and I get invited to their meetings all the time, and I hear testimony after testimony after testimony of people who don't know God, who are at their wits' end, find a Gideon Bible in their hotel room, and they read it, and God just reveals to them the truth, and they are saved, they trust in Christ, and they don't know anything about anything in the Bible. So please don't hear me saying that we can't pick up the Bible and God can't speak to us. I agree with that. But I'm also saying this. On the other hand, if you really, truly want to understand everything that's in the Word of God, you have to study to show yourself approved. You have to understand the context in which these men wrote. They didn't write in 2017. They didn't even write in... in, in 1917 or 1817, they wrote over 2,000 years ago to, a, or even longer than that, some of them, they wrote to cultures that are not like ours. They have, they have idioms that are not ours, you know, things, the way they said things that meant something to them, that reading them don't mean much to us because they were specific for their culture and their language. It behooves you to be a student of the word of God. And so we're going to study context when it comes to these prophets. The next thing I wrote down, if we fail to learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. And that's one of the things, is we remember what these prophets are saying. Let's apply it to ourselves, lest we be guilty of just hearing things and doing nothing with it. And so in 1 Corinthians 10... Paul wrote this, he said, now these things happened to them as an example to us that they were written for, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the age have come. In other words, these things were written so that we might learn from them. So let's learn from what, from what, they, uh, what they went through, what the prophets told them. And the last thing that I wrote down is, as we read and study, as we read and study, let's be, as you read, because I got, I, got I got a big ask for you in just a moment. But as you read, I want to ask you to be looking for these these glimpses of the messianic time when Jesus establishes all things under his feet. I want you to be looking for the times that speak to Jesus, right? That point us to Jesus. Let's see if we can't find them as we read through the prophets. So here's my conclusion. I have three challenges for you this morning. Number one, would you be faithful to be prepared every week that you're going to come? Okay, I, listen, this is, this is the dark continent of the scriptures. Why is it called the dark continent of the scriptures? Because we don't read it. We don't read it because it's hard to understand. I get that. But here's what I'd like to ask. You know, every week I'm going to tell you what we're going to be studying. It'll be in my email, but it'll be here on Sunday morning. We'll talk about it as well. And, and, and so come prepared. And here's what I mean by coming prepared. Would you read the prophet before next Sunday? That's all. Would you read it? All right, the prophet for next week is Amos. So what I'm asking you to do is read Amos this week. It's nine chapters long. They're short chapters. Um, You could probably read it several times this week if you care to. But I'm asking you to read Amos before you come next week. Come prepared. Number two, I'm asking you to try to be faithful on Sunday mornings so that you can be a part of this entire study so that the dark continent of the Scriptures isn't the dark continent for you because you have invested time in searching out the dark continent of these minor prophets. And so what I'd like to ask you is, if at all possible, come on Sundays. Be a part of what we're doing in our worship of God, trying to understand what God is teaching us through these minor prophets. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm extremely intimidated, or I was, I'm not so much anymore. I don't know if it was Beverly or who it was that pointed it out to me, but I was telling them how intimidated I am by this study. I mean, teaching through i have been here 30 years, never taught through the minor prophets, everybody. Never done this in 30 years. Why? Because it's not easy, it's, 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 it's you know, I, I wanna make it something that you will appreciate, something you'll learn from, something that won't bore you. And I'm just intimidated by all that. And somebody reminded me, weren't you really intimidated by revelation, and, uh, but yet you say it was one of the best studies you ever did? And I said, yeah, that changed my mindset. So I'm not intimidated anymore, right? So I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to, to, to trying to teach in a way that's clear, concise, compelling, and applicational. So if you can, Try to be here every Sunday to be with us in the study. And if you can't, would you do this for me? Would you listen on the podcast? Would you listen to the talk at some point later so that you can, so you're not missing anything, you're keeping up? Because maybe we'll be building on each other. I don't even know, but maybe we'll be building on each other. There's going to be at least 13 of these messages, this one and 12 more. There may be more than that because I, there's like the book of Jonah. There's at least two big points in the book of Jonah that we could talk about. So, so there may be more, 13 at least. And the last thing that I want to the, uh, you know, ask you to do is this. Would you contemplate the idea this week that you are a prophet of God? Would you contemplate the idea that all of us... Now, I'm not, I'm not saying a prophet like Joel and Amos and all these guys, I recognize that. But if a prophet is indeed a foreteller of God's word to them... All of us should recognize that we have a prophetic role as a follower of Jesus. I have a prophetic role, not as pastor, not as preacher. I have a prophetic role as Jimmy the Christian. And you know what? All of you do as well. You have a a prophetic role to talk about the word of God from the Lord Jesus to others. And I'd really like to ask you to be praying. You know, God so loved the world that he sent and gave his only begotten son would you tell people that? Would you tell people that God has set before them life or destruction? There is a narrow ro- gate, narrow, difficult road that leads to life. There is a broad road and a difficult road that leads to destruction. Would you be willing to do that? You know, I just caught a glimpse of my friend Joe in the back. And, you know, Joe is somebody who does that, you know? He, he is... He takes his prophetic role as a believer seriously. I really want to challenge all of us to do the same, to talk about, about Jesus. Incline your heart towards God, and I want to talk to you for just a moment. While you're, you're just not looking at me, and you're really just, your heart's inclined towards God. Here's, those are three things I'm asking you to do. Would you talk to God about them? Would you say, God, help me to be faithful this, this, to this series, that I might learn the minor prophets and understand them? I mean, if that's in your heart, I mean, if you're willing, I mean, you know, say, God, help me with that. Make a commitment to, if you can't be here on a Sunday, to listen, so that you're not missing what we're talking about as we talk about the minor prophets. But mostly, I want you, with your head and heart bowed before our Savior, is to to say, Lord, I I, want to take on this prophetic role seriously. I want to be one who speaks up for you. This morning, I didn't talk about the gospel, the good news, but the good news is that God loves you. And wants you to have immortality and life with him. And so this morning, if, if you're interested or curious about that in any way, just talk to me about it. If, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, if, if God's brought you here and you know God's working in your heart, talk to me after the service and we'll, we'll set up a time we'll sit down and talk over, over a cup of coffee or something, okay? Father, thank you for recording for us these prophets so that we would be able to learn from them. Thank you that your word is profitable for teaching, for correcting us, for reproving us. Even as as Amos and these other men sought to reprove Israel and Judah, so Lord, there is a reproof that can be seen and learned in these words for us. And I pray that we would be open and that we would be teachable and that by your spirit, you would speak to all of our hearts. Lord, may this, may this journey into these more obscure books of the Old Testament. Lord, would you make it helpful? Father, I do ask, as I've been asking, that you'd help me to make this you know, clear, concise, and in a way that, just, uh, that you take it and, and just grab our hearts with it. So, Lord, do that by your spirit. And we commit all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.